This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. This is Salva Girdan, Director of Studio X Istanbul. We are together here with Ziad Jamaluddin of Left Architects and talking about the Playgrounds exhibition just installed in Istanbul. My name is Ziad Jamaluddin. I teach here at Columbia University, but together with my partner, Makram Al-Kadi, we have an architecture practice called Left Architects. And we have two satellite offices, one in Beirut and one in New York. Uh, both of us had worked for Stephen Hall Architects, uh, from 2000 to 2005, and since then we have established our office and we've been practicing. At the same time, we've been pursuing some research, either in academia or an exhibition venue like uh, this uh, event that we just opened at CGX Istanbul. Of course, we are interested in the professional world, so we're interested in building architecture, concrete spaces people can visit and kind of be part of the built environment. But also we're interested in research because it's really you need to understand that built environment to begin with, how it is formed, and the way it actually sits at the intersection of many forces, among them that are of interest to us, are kind of the political and the cultural. Uh, just as a side note, both of Makram and I grew up in Beirut and in Lebanon during kind of years of conflict, still ongoing until today, and we always kind of perceived the environment from that political lens, that which we really try to articulate through our practice. So we're very kind of lucky to have a practice and an academic platform where both of which kind of serve that, that agenda. Could we talk a little bit about the Islamic city drawing? The Islamic city drawing is a, is a kind of part of an ongoing research, which really started back in 2011. There was this uh, incident, let's say, in, in Switzerland. Before, before the Muslim ban, there was the minaret ban in Switzerland, whereby, although Switzerland had only four minarets, somehow they decided that there should be no minarets anymore. So in that sense, the architectural object, the minaret in this case, kind of represented, not only represented the whole community, kind of religious community, and what's supposed to be a diverse kind of open society, but also perceived that minaret as a threat of some sort. So again, it's the interest that we have here from kind of the architectural, spatial, into the political, kind of instigated that research had been pursuing since then. So the Islamic city map, which we just kind of, which we first exhibited kind of an early version of it in Oslo, Ben Ali, this past summer, kind of we expanded on it in Istanbul Studio X. And it's really, uh, the objective of it was kind of to demystify the idea of unity or homogeneity of the way basically the Islamic art and architecture and the Islamic world in general has been perceived, has been formed through academic discourse. So... Uh, that field, as problematic as it is today, was really the outcome of you know, Orientalist travel in the 19th century, and then followed by, which actually paved the way for colonialism. And all of that kind of came to fruit with, uh, in, in building a, a body of knowledge, trying to define, frame, kind of imagine what the society is about and what, is, what are their cultural products. So the Islamic city was kind of a statement against that body of knowledge that we have inherited in the last kind of more than 100 years now. And, 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 and really by trying to demonstrate the, the, the non-existence of unity, we were trying to basically continuously build it through the map. So the map, in effect, is a, putting together more than 40 mosques uh, from different places across different civilizations and trying kind of to weave them in one continuous knowledge-like map. 
but usually when you look at it, you quickly realize that there is no unity among those typologies, right? The, the further you look across the map, the more the typology proves itself to be hybrid, continuously mutating across civilization, across cultural lines. It's really hard to find the East and West. It's hard to find what is Ottoman and what is Byzantine, and so on and so forth. So that was, in a way, the objective of the map. But what we also map showed as we continue to build it for more than a year now, is that as we come closer to modern period, say we realize that the mosque, which used to be very much part of the everyday experience, is now becoming more and more an isolated object, kind of purified in purpose and in form, only used for liturgical functions, while previous mosques were more multi-use and hybrid. There were social spaces, there were gathering spaces, there were commercial spaces attached to it. But the modern mosque, for some reason, and perhaps because of modern zoning of segregation, has gave us this object, which became a, an easy vessel kind of for, as a symbol of power, perhaps, or, or a symbol of the power of uh, the patrons that build it. So I think what was interesting about the, the map is that it continues to unravel and we continue to populate it with more and more information, while at the same time undoing this idea of homogeneity or unity in Islamic art and architecture. We did talk about, um, in our previous conversations, about the um, this idea of unity um, and that it is that Islamic architecture is understood as a uniform thing and which probably also belongs to the past. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on, on this? Uh, could there be an Islamic architecture of the future or is, is this just the way we phrase this sentence already? Uh, yeah. This allows us to have any future imaginary. I think we need to start constructing a future imaginary, but it's very true the way you have just described it, is that when we say, at least in scholarly terms, when we say Islamic art and architecture, we're talking about art and architecture built in the Islamic world until the 18th or the 19th century. So for some reason, there is absence of modernity or history of modernity in the Arab Islamic world. And uh, it, it becomes something of the past. For many, it becomes an excuse to idealize the past. You can think of religious extremism, perhaps, the way they kind of think of the past as being one version or an authenticity that they're looking for in terms of understanding Islam, but also in terms of architectural practices. So there you see those... Uh, for instance, modern states today, when building modern or contemporary mosques, they also kind of practice the same approach, which is looking for what was authentic in that culture. Uh, so you see, for instance, the Safavid, I mean, I'm sorry, the Iran, Iranian state-sponsored mosque looking at the Safavid. You see the Turkish mosque today looking at the Ottoman as a model to imitate, to duplicate, and also to disseminate, right? So it's also a way of exercising some kind of power over their, their zones of influence across the world. So the mosque becomes, again, uh, an abstraction of an idea of what Islamic architecture is supposed to be, as opposed to what it has been in terms of living history continuously evolving. So when you're talking about the mosque of the future, there are two tasks here at play. One is to undo what we have learned and kind of deconstruct that body of knowledge and reconstruct a new one, and through that perhaps projecting into the future. So it's really the discipline is that it's a very young in a way, uh, and, and, and there's more research, there's more theorization and contextualization that needs to be done in order to move uh, forward more rigorously instead of just falling into stylistic traps. 
Um, I know you had a seminar at, uh, here at GSAP uh, on the history of histories of Islamic architecture. Could you tell us a little bit also about that seminar? Yeah, I mean, that seminar is very much based on that kind of uh, uh, installation that we have done in Studio X uh, exercise, so to speak. So it does look first at the historiography of Islamic art architecture, how was it formed, and we exactly look at those moments in time where they were, uh, the, the knowledge became more and more concrete through world exhibitions, through main publications, uh, whereby the Islamic world has been consistently categorized, framed, organized, and, and geographically kind of entrapped, right? So suddenly you have, when you look at, when you look at defining what Islamic architecture, you start falling into all these fabricated framework. Is it civilizational? Uh, do we look at every civilization separately? But then what happened to those mosques that start from one civilization and end in another? Or what happens when there are two civilizations coexisting? or empires kind of coexisting at the same time with different places. Do you look at geography? But then is it always that the mosque has to be geographically specific? I mean, also there are stylistic and cultural mutation that happens with traveling and with people buying, being interaction with other culture, etc. So the, the, the class tried to kind of unroll one item at a time from, from those frameworks in order specifically to deconstruct what we have learned. The second, which is really based on several scholars that we are kind of, the literature is coming from, like Nasser Rappat at MIT, who are all kind of critical scholars on the historiography of Islamic architecture, uh, Nessie Polu at MIT and others, um, I'm sorry, at Harvard and others. So we start with that kind of critical theory approach, reading Edouard Said and Orientism, just to set kind of the ground and the proper lens to look at that body of knowledge produced on Islamic art and architecture. And then the second half of the semester, we try to do what everybody is hoping to do, which really to take case studies and to look at those mosques that we have been studying as being the Islamic, the representation of Islamic architecture, and to try to really contextualize them geographically, socially, culturally, and understand those buildings as being the product of their time, like any architectural uh, product, right? Uh, we, we don't, uh, if you look at any architectural typology, we always need to kind of contextualize it and see it from that lens instead of trying to generalize and create theories across time. In the Islamic city map, uh, there was a particularly interesting mosque, the Terminal Mosque. Uh, yeah. Would you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the map argues for, uh, especially when it comes to the modern period, that the small building, the, the smaller the mosque, the better. And there are several examples, which maybe we can talk about yeah. in a minute. Um, like Sharif al-Din mosques and uh, National Assembly Mosque Turkey. But the King Khalid Mosque in Riyadh is interesting, not because of its aesthetic uh, agenda necessarily, but it's a large small mosque, but still it is really integrated to a large infrastructure of the metropolis, right? In this case, it's literally the airport runway. So it's part of the airport terminal. And try to kind of latch onto this culture of movement and, and travel you know, that was emerging in the mid-1980s. Uh, so in that sense, I think the mosques, although it's now removed from the supposed community or the traditional way of understanding a community that is supposed to serve, which is, uh, you know, the people kind of living around the mosque, only to understand that actually it's supposed to serve a new kind of uh, a citizen, you know, so traveling, the traveling jet setter in this case. Um, and on the issue of the smaller mosques, 
Yeah, I mean, the smaller mosques, uh, especially in the modern period, because earlier mosques were large in scale, the medieval mosque and the earlier Abbasid and Umayyad mosque, the Ottoman mosque is huge. Uh, so they're all kind of different typologies in that sense. But the, the modern mosque is, uh, uh, is interesting because, at, for one, we are talking about maybe 70s, 80s, and maybe late 60s here. Uh, for one, the, the, we're talking about the Arab world now perhaps could be described as a much more progressive place uh, than when we, what we found in kind of political terms today. So there was kind of a general progressive political agenda or ethos that the architects were trying kind of to subscribe to. And, and, and if you just look at those buildings, there are many that, are, that were really able to experiment and, and develop new typologies. So although the mosque became somewhat purified, it has less functions kind of attached to it than the previous say, generation, it was still small in the way it tried to integrate itself with the neighborhood. And uh, uh, for instance, Sharif al-Din Mosque, which is the one I mentioned a few minutes ago, is often compared to, for instance, Ranchon as a building. And I think this becomes interesting when those uh, quote-unquote Islamic buildings start to create a start to have a dialogical kind of relationship with the modernism produced in the West. So suddenly there is an equal ground over which those buildings could be discussed and theorized. So it's not anymore, although here we're talking about Eastern Europe versus Western Europe, uh, because that mosque is in Bosnia. Uh, but there's already a kind of engagement at this kind of transnational level or international level when it comes to architectural experimentation. But when you look at the local scale, it's really sensitively located in the background, basically in the backyard, I'm sorry, of, of the neighborhood where it serves. And it does challenge many preconceptions of what the mosque looked like. And it's really accepted and it's really very much part of the city. The other one that I think perhaps a little bit more polemical and maybe more interesting to study is the Grand National Assembly Mosque uh, in Ankara, also built in the early 80s. And there, what's intriguing for me is, uh, again, uh, the architecture is very interesting, we can talk about it, but also the fact that uh, the, the architect tried to strike a balance uh, between the unapologetically secular state of Turkey in the 80s, together with the religious identity that it had, right? So, so Turkey is mostly Muslim in terms of religious sex and, and the state is secular. So that building sits between these two conditions that I think perhaps we can say Turkey is still trying to find a better balance until today. But if you look then at the architecture, you see like the building kind of turning its back or moving away from the assembly kind of structure building from the offices and then embeds itself in the landscape and becomes really have this low profile sitting in the landscape. There is also a rewriting of the visual language of the mosque. So there is no minaret, right? Because you're in the landscape, you can use a tree and there's kind of a tree symbolizing the minaret that once kind of marked the territory. Uh, also, I think, and specifically because it's in Turkey and the architect was very much aware of the socio-cultural setting he was working in, he was also able to challenge the gender segregation within the mosque. And I think these moves, as small as they are, become, I think, the future mosque that we really should be kind of looking for. And in some ways, you also have built a future mosque, uh, in a, and which was a, also part of the exhibition in Istanbul. Could you also tell us a little bit more about the um, mosque that Left Architects has just recently realized? In yeah, Amir Shakib Arslan Mosque. It's located in the Shuf Mountains, which is in Lebanon. 
And in our mind, it automat was automatically categorized within the smaller scale of uh, architecture um, that we have just been, been talking about. And uh, it's really a rural mosque. It's not in the urban center. And it has a small congregation. So it's really not massive in terms of capacity either. Um, it's only 150 square meter. And we were dealing also with an existing 18th century structure. Uh, that was kind of part uh, of, of the project as a whole. But um, maybe to step back for a minute, it's this game or this move from the research into the practice that's really becoming more interesting in terms of process because it's this research that we have built that had led into the mosque, which is led back into the map. So the mosque kind of falls somewhere in the middle of the research we've been a bit talking about. And, and our concern with that mosque is that, or what the easy thing I say about the mosque was that it's so small that it was really easy to resolve. It has very few liturgical properties. So by simply reorienting the space by the carpet, by the mihrab towards Mecca, already the mosque could be functioning, right? So it was, step one was almost done, which really opened the opportunity for us to kind of expand what could be done or how that mosque could get influence or could influence its context. Hence the idea of creating a civic plaza uh, right outdoor of kind of uh, the mosque itself, which used to be a parking lot when we first inherited kind of this whole situation. And, and in that case, it does relate contextually uh, to, to the rural setting of Lebanon because many of those towns uh, as you drive from Beirut up the mountain, have those small squares that are really modest with a simple fountain, which we kind of also uh, revived an 18th century fountain in our plaza. It has some shade and it's open to the mosque and the mosque is very kind of transparent and the inside the outside kind of blur together. But what we also did is kind of expanded that public space onto the roof of the mosque and we kind of encased it with a steel structure that had kind of other tectonic aspiration to it. But altogether, it became more like a resting spot or a gathering space for the village residents as well as for travelers, which is kind of very frequent. That road is very frequented by travelers and tourists coming from Beirut up to the mountain. So in that sense, I think uh, the mosque became for us uh, what, important, what was important for us to make that mosque very much a part of that fabric, whether it was the traveler or the village residents in terms of use and appropriation, etc. And the mosque, we were able to convince our client that the mosque could be open for everybody all the time and open equally for both genders. So there were many small things that we were able to achieve, but it is a tiny mosque. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Ziad. It was really quite a pleasure to talk. Thank you for having me. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.